Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. Welcome back to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. And you could have heard and seen today's interview live. If only you were a supporter of Lions of Liberty on Patreon. You can find more about that on patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You have got to join the Pride for so many reasons, uh, not the least of which is to get early access and uh, live stream versions of many, if not most, of the interviews that I'm doing here each and every Monday. We've also got all sorts of bonus content, including Conspiracy Corner, and the latest round of uh, bonus action is a new show you're getting from Brian McWilliams called Good Morning Bleephead. No, I'm not going to curse in the first minute of the show. We're going to save that for later, but uh, be sure to check out The Pride. You get all sorts of bonus content, early access to interviews like this one, and if that weren't enough, all of our patrons get a discount at the Lions of Liberty store. You can find that over at lionsofliberty.store where we have all sorts of fun and exciting Lions of Liberty merchandise like our Taxation is Death t-shirt, our Wax On Tax Off t-shirt, and uh, so many more beanies, mugs, you want it, we got it, lionsofliberty.store. But first, you got to join the pride at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, gang. Well, I am back from a a much-needed vacation, and I jumped right into the thick of things by calling up my man, Vin Armani. We actually had this scheduled up maybe four or five weeks ago to talk about his book, Render Unto Caesar. So I did welcome him back to the show. Uh, You probably know him from being on the show a couple times. He was on the show last time back in December discussing how to survive the dim age. And we lined up this interview to discuss his book, Render Unto Caesar. Of course, uh, the week before we did this interview, there was a little bit of a a Twitter spat between Vin and a good friend of this program, Dave Smith. So we do get into that a little bit as well. That being said, I really enjoyed this interview. I think you guys will as well. So here's Vin Armani. Vin, welcome back. Of course, uh, at this point, I think for any listener of this program over the past year or so, I don't think I need the whole dramatic long introduction for you. I think uh, if people don't know about you and the fans of the show, uh, well, they haven't really been listening, I guess, but because you've been on a couple of times and, uh, you know, it's actually the case here, like then most people I have on the show are mostly one and done. Usually I have someone on, I interview them, I find out about their life and I move on with my life. And, and that's, right. that's the last I speak to them. I have a, a rare select group of guests over the years who have become recurring guests, but I, I think you probably, you might be the only one actually who's had the honor, I don't know, of being on the show three times in a year here. And uh, I think the reason, at least as far as my end goes, is that your message and the things you've been talking about out there have really been resonating with me. And I want to do things that provide value to my listeners. And I think you are providing a lot of value out there right now. And, uh, you know, you're talking about things that a lot of people in the Liberty circles aren't aren't really discussing. And I I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, this kind of coincides with things that have been changing in my life over the last couple of years. Mm. Like I've gone from 
I heard your, your interview with my friend, Mike, Mike Francatelli the other week. And uh, I think I was very similar to him in the sense that uh, for many, many years, I was kind of like a libertarian atheist. You know, I believed mm-hmm. in the ideas of liberty, but I didn't, I wasn't grounded in, in any kind of like deeper religious uh, aspect at all. Uh, but over those past couple of years, I've, I've you know engaged in some different kind of practices, uh, had a few different experiences to the point that mm-hmm. I can't say I have taken on a religion per se, but I, I think I'm kind of putting myself through my own comparative religion class in a sense. I've really like gotten it. into, yeah, I've gotten a lot into, you know, I've been reading the Bhagavad Gita. I've been reading, uh, listening to Jordan Peter's Bible lectures. Like I'm not stuck to any one thing, but I've definitely felt this call to become more connected to the mystical out there. So I think nice. that probably makes a lot of sense that what you're talking about is resonating with me for that reason. And, um, but just, just before we get into things, I, I actually scheduled this interview with you maybe four or five weeks or, or so. So uh, yeah. some more cynical fans might think that I brought you on just to talk about uh, the recent little oh, Twitter no. spat <laughs> that you had with Dave. That's not why I brought you on. But since we're here, I brought you on because, you, you know, you sent me a copy of your book. Uh, you're gracious enough to send me a yes. copy last month, Rendering to Caesar. We will talk about the book, but I, I can't sure. gloss over this. Uh, my fans okay. will, will hang me if I don't. So um, if you could just get into why did you, some might say, use the word go after, say whatever you want. Why did you tweet at, I think it was actually an episode that Tom Woods did with Dave Smith yes. where they were discussing vaccine passports. And yes. well, I'll let you take it from there. What, what prompted you to, to reach out and respond to them? I guess you could say. Uh, well, I mean, it's for people who follow me and like follow my Twitter, it wasn't, this was not a, let's say some sort of a special tweet from me. I mean, I am often, I think one of the things that I'm known for, if people follow me and what, uh, if, if I'm having a criticism of somebody, it's almost exclusively because there's some sort of inconsistency in their narrative. And I mean, that's, that's been true throughout this whole experience. And I think that of the, of 2020, certainly. And I think that that's one of the reasons why people have been interested in the things that I've had to say, right. It's because I've been looking for inconsistencies, pointing them out. There's been a lot of inconsistencies, but you know, even for better or worse, you know, even those who I consider my friends or my, my allies, if I see inconsistencies, if they make inconsistencies publicly, I will respond publicly. So it's like, if you have a public forum, uh, and especially if you are somebody whose stated goal is to increase the size and scope of the platforms that you are on so that you can spread a message, then if that is your stated goal, I am a public figure seeking platforms to spread a message, and then there is inconsistency in your message, I am going to publicly, because you're public, and you're saying that you want to do this public, and it's supposed to be a public message. I'm going to respond publicly, and I'm going to respond showing the inconsistency. And when I do, I'm going, if I do it on Twitter, and you're on Twitter, I'm going to tag you. I'm going to tag you because I would want you to do the same with me because I would want to be able to respond. And that's the, that's the correct thing to do because I believe that to do otherwise would be cowardly. And so I simply responded. So basically what it, what it was, what I was responding to was that while these two individuals have been pushing and promoting this idea that they're going to take over the libertarian party, and that this uh, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus is a uh, good strategy and a good tactic, and it is what they are throwing energy at. Not only that, they want other people to join them in this, right? So they are actively saying, 
we want you to come and spend your time and energy doing this because we believe that this is a good thing to do. To then have a conversation where, and it was, it was specific to this conversation. And if you watch this particular interview, recent, I don't know, last week, something with Tom Woods and Dave Smith, Tom Woods actually begins by saying, well, I called you to ask you to come to talk about the issue. We don't even need to say what it is. The issue. It is the issue. Vaccine passports. Right. And Dave Smith. And they then go on to spend about 15 minutes talking about how it's actually a relevant analogy to say that, that these vaccine passports are like the yellow stars that the Nazis made the Jews wear. OK. And so what I said was there's a high level of cognitive dissonance here. OK. You can't have both things. Either this is equivalent to the yellow stars, like you're saying, that the Jews were forced to wear by the Nazis, or the Libertarian Party is a viable tactic for acquiring liberty at this time. Because if you put the two of those together, what you're saying is the Jews should have formed a Libertarian Party. Okay? That what, so how should the Jews have, have handled against the Nazis to stop themselves from getting pushed into concentration camps and, and gassed? Well, they definitely should have done a Mises caucus. <laughs> and they just needed to take over a party that has no political power and no elected officials in Germany so that they could have a platform to say a message. It's like it's one or the other, guys. It's one or the other, because two seconds of thought is like. Bro, you guys are totally inconsistent. And that was it. And that was basically, and that was what I said. And so then underneath that, and this was where the row started, right? Underneath that, I put in quotes. I said, um, the, the, the powers that be are creating a new caste system. And so therefore, we need them all to just read one volume of Mises Human Action, and they'll change their minds. Now, you laugh, right? Why do you laugh? Because that is clear parody. Because okay? when you say it that way, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> because it's, and this is what the nature of parody is, right? That it's like, so Saturday Night Live, when somebody plays Trump, they're not using Trump quotes, okay? They say something that's completely ridiculous. So underneath that, the response from Dave was, well, can you explain it without misquoting me? And I was like, dude, aren't you a comic? And that was my response to him was, bro, if you can't see clear parody, obvious parody, which is the tool of comedy, like it is the number one tool of comedy is parody. You must be a really shit comic. And that is a very, very valid thing to say for somebody calling. the. If you call yourself a physicist and I write E equals MC squared and you go, can you explain it without just using just random uh, letters and numbers? And it's like, bro, uh, aren't you? If it says physicist Dave Smith, <laughs> like, I'm like, wait, you're a pretty shit physicist if you don't know what, what E equals MC squared is, right? And that was basically what, and then everybody said, ah, Venice, he called him a shit comic. And it's like, did I actually do that? Go and read what I just said. Like, you guys want it. They want there to be drama. And it's like, I don't want there to be drama. I want there to be consistency. Right? So 
that's it. That's the long and the short. The dude can hate me for it, but I would appreciate him to, to, uh, it was clear what I was saying. And so it's like the one thing he never did was answer. I think it's a very valid point that I'm bringing up. It's like, should the Jews, should the Jews have formed a libertarian party? Because if we are the Jews being forced to wear yellow stars right now, perhaps if that's what you say we are, you know, like, let's talk about tactics then. You know, we're got it's got to be one or the other guys. That's that's all I was saying there. Yeah, that, that's what I want to get into because I'm a fan of you. I've known Dave for years. I'm a fan of Dave too. I like you both. I don't care about igniting a beef or a feud or anything like that. <laughs> but I, but I do want to get to the bottom as much as I do like controversy because it does generate cash literally for us. Like, but uh, but uh, you know, I really want to get to the the actual issues at hand, like the yes. you know this idea, your criticisms of this idea of the Libertarian Party takeover, um, and and why that is a poor use. Because I think from and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think from your point of view, it. It bothers you to see people being asked to put energy into something that you feel is kind of a, a waste of their time, not only a yeah. waste of their time, but maybe actually, you know, going against what they re- what we really need to be doing right now. Um, so for people out there, I know the biggest thing I hear is like, look, I get what Vin's saying, but all we want to do is use the Libertarian Party f- to spread this message, to create more libertarians, to get people more excited about this message. Mm-hmm. Even if there's bad, maybe Nazi level shit going on, what's what's so wrong with that? Why can't mm-hmm. we do that? And also do the other stuff you're talking about. Maybe find, find, find greater spiritual peace or and what have you. Why can't we do it all? Mm-hmm. That is that. So here is the key. And this was the key of what I presented to Dave and why it's two parts. Okay. In and of itself, the idea that we're going to use the Libertarian Party as a platform to spread a message. I have no problem with Okay, I think that the Libertarian Party and I have said the Libertarian Party is disorganized. I think it's a real sink of energy for people. I think as an opinion, it's a waste of time. Now, however, I could be wrong. Right. So I don't it's not like I go hard at the Libertarian Party. However, it is a question of when and where are you? And this has been my message. This is if they go back to the first time we spoke, which was what, June 2020. Yeah, I think it was something like that. The Do you remember that I specifically in that interview said you are a Jew in Nazi Germany in the early 1930s right now? I specifically said that. I believe that's uh, as close to a direct quote as as we can get without actually going back. Specifically. Right. So I say this in June. Right. Nobody else has said this is that I'm speaking hyperbolically in June. Right. But then. Our materialist, rational Tom Woods and Dave Smith, what, how many months later now? Nine months, 10 months later? Oh, now we're Jews in Nazi Germany. But it's no longer the early 30s anymore. Now we've reached yellow stars. Okay? And so, again, it's not about on its, it's not about in a vacuum is this idea of we're going to use the Libertarian Party as a platform to spread liberty. It's like, when and where are you? Because if you really are German Jews in Nazi Germany wearing a yellow star, you are sentencing people to death. If you are get if you if in, if that is the tactic that you are telling them to survive this, you are. It's not just like, well, it could be a good idea. You don't know, Vin. It's like, no, you are sentencing these people to death. So one or the other. 
See, I really believe that's what's happening. Uh-oh, what are you doing? You're watching the, you're watching the no, stream? I, I was trying to pull up. Uh, oh. I, I, we're getting some questions, oh, oh, actually. Yes, okay. Yeah, because we're actually getting some questions from people, and I wasn't necessarily planning to do this, but I was thinking, <laughs> Go ahead. Since, since you heard me try to look, <laughs> this is the go nature ahead. of live audio. Friends. Yes. I, I thought I might read a couple questions that, that we're getting on this. Yeah, go ahead. I, I mean, I think, I think that this is, but I think that that's my point, right? My point is not about whether or not in a vacuum, this is a good tactic. My point is right. that, if you believe, and this is the exact thing that I was saying, and this is why I don't understand why this is controversial. If you believe truly, and you're not being hyperbolic because I'm not, see, I left. Like, I believe this is what's happening. So either they believe it or, well, so, because I don't want to, I don't want to do the thing. That is, they believe both. Because if they believe both, there's only two answers, okay? One, they are so dangerously incompetent and unaware of how reality works that they are sentencing people to death. Or two, they are completely aware and they're sentencing people to death on purpose. And I don't want to do that, okay? So what I want to say is there's cognitive dissonance and rational inconsistency there. And if they really have the best interests of people in heart, at heart, and especially as libertarians who are always talking about how consistency matters, guys, get out of the cult of personality, okay? I know you like listening to the podcast. I'm not saying any either of their podcasts should go away. I'm not saying they haven't done great things. I'm not saying that they haven't brought people to liberty. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that they don't have the underlying right principles. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be speaking that hot libertarian fire on the biggest platforms in the world. I'm not saying they should not be doing any of that. Okay. What I'm saying is that if they truly believe what I believe about when and where we are, then they need to tell people to behave in such a way that they save themselves and their loved ones. And the saying that their energy should be spent on the Libertarian Party is sentencing people to death. It's that simple. All right. So that being the case, if there's people out, I know, no, if I know they're right here commenting uh, for people out there that um, would agree generally with the message, the political message of Tom Woods, of Day Smith, uh, probably your own political beliefs as well. Sure. Generally speaking, I agree with them, by right. the way, <laughs> like yeah. I agree with them. <laughs> So I guess the real difference here comes down to tactics and how people should be spending yes. their time considering the current situation. Yes. So, so, so actually, instead of me asking you a question here, why don't I take, because we have a question here from Angela McArdle. As you know, yep. she is a big part of the Mises Caucus. She's, she's also a supporter of, of Lions Liberty here. I know and her. so I'll, I'll just go ahead and read her question. She says, some of your recent commentary on agorism and being oriented towards Christ-like behavior, par paraphrasing, she says, does not seem to provide an option for fighting back against the state. Given the fact that incidents like Waco and Ruby Ridge have happened, how do you propose agorists and people who opt out of government should prepare to fight back against the state when the state inevitably comes for them. Yes, the state does inevitably come for you. Okay? In 34 BC, there was this guy. At uh, 34 AD, there was this guy, right? And uh, he had this message. And the state came for him. And 300 years later, he was the center of the state that killed him. Okay? Now, it would not, there were many, many, this was in a guy in Judea, 
right? Carpenter's son. You know, some crazy things said about this guy. He had these, yeah, he had these 12 cats that followed him around. And then, you know, afterwards, they started sort of spreading that story and spreading the message. Now, it wouldn't have, there is no, there were plenty of uh, armed uprisings by those same groups of people. None of them were even able to take back land in Judea. Never mind take over Rome. You know who took over Rome? That one guy, the one guy who bore his cross, the one guy who lived in principle. And time and time and time again, it is martyrs that change the world. It is the people who, that's how you really fight. It's a mimetic fight. You have to win hearts and minds. If you win the hearts and minds, you don't even need the guns. And even Mao said this. It's not even just the righteous that say this. Mao's whole message was, it is not guns that win wars. It is will. Will. And it is the will to die for your beliefs. And so that is what is going on. That is the reason and the power of Christianity. And that is what being Christ-like is. It is not be sweet to people. Go read the Gospels. Christ is not sweet. He's an asshole. (laughs) He tells his followers that they're pieces of shit constantly. Constantly. He calls people hypocrites throughout. Anybody who comes to him and, and, and tries to catch him up in something or say something, he calls them a hypocrite. He sends people away from him constantly. He's like, what, you really want it? Sell everything you got. Come follow me. Oh, I can't do it. Well, bye. That's Christ. But he talked the talk and then he walked the walk. He went all the way. There was no fight. What he tells Peter to sheath his sword. When he comes to be arrested, Peter had said, I will, I'll, no, I'll, I'll die for you. What are you talking about? Peter pulls his sword out. When Christ is betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane by Judas, Peter pulls his sword. And Christ tells him, Peter, put the sword away. I got to go to my father. I'd say that the Lions of Liberty audience, just broadly speaking, over the past seven years, probably contains, I mean, more than two types of people. But broadly speaking, there's a couple of types of people that are listening right now, some of which do have a more religious background, uh, are Christian or Judeo-Christian or have some kind of religion and, and might actually be like really agreeing with what you're saying, understanding what you're saying, where others, uh, another segment of that population who might have been more like me a couple of years ago, is probably thinking what I would be thinking a couple of years ago, which is saying, okay, so great. So cool. Vin just wants us to read the Bible, become Christ-like. Awesome. (laughs) No, no, not at all. First off, you are Christian. If you are, if you are a libertarian, you are Christian, period. You live inside of a Christian vernacular. All of your principles and morals, if you are listening to this, if you, if you aspire to liberty, you are a Christian. Why do I say that? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator, It's a Christian God with certain unalienable rights, chief among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Also, we hold self-evident that governments are instituted among men to protect these rights. This is the, this is libertarianism. This is what you believe. But the only reason you have rights is because you have your first axiom 
because Hume's guillotine says you cannot derive an ought from an is. Your first axiom is that you are created by God, equal to everybody else, and that God, a God, the Christian God, has given you those rights. That's it. You are a Christian. Whether you go to church or not, you believe your, your whole, the, there is no libertarianism without the Christian God. There are, no, there are no human rights without the Christian God. This did not exist before Christianity. This meme was not even, this meme did not exist, period, before Christianity. It was introduced by Christ. You are a Christian. Whether you read the Bible or not, and I'm not asking anybody to read the Bible, and you don't need to read the Bible, right? All I'm explaining, when, I, when I'm explaining these Bible verses, what I'm explaining is what is the actual story that is at the root of your culture? And so when you, and you're asking what changed the world, whether you're a Christian or not, there is no question that at the center of Rome to this day is Christ. That is not a religious statement. <laughs> that is a fact, a statement of fact. I, th I think something you touched on there is, is what I think is just of utmost importance, no matter what you believe is what you mentioned there is, is having the story to tell. Yes. And the fact is you can believe in just, there was a pile of energy and it exploded into a big bang and then things happen. And now we're here. You can believe that you can believe something else. I don't really care if you believe one of those things or whatever you believe in between. It doesn't matter because it's it's still a, a, an absolute fact, absolute truth that stories are what move people. Yes. Uh, stories are why our civilizations are, are built. Stories are why, or maybe lack of stories, you might say, is why civilizations fall apart. Lack 100%. of a cohesive story, which is a lot about what what you talk about uh, in your book, Render Under, Under Caesar. And I, I just think you have like you have a really good knack, I think, for because I I don't think like I'm I'm not coming at this from really a strong knowledge of Christianity. I was raised Jewish, but I, I think I was sure. kind of raised as like a, oh yeah, there's some silly stories. My, and once I'm eight years old, I think, oh, these are some <laughs> silly stories. My parents told me so I can go to, you know, celebrate the holidays. Right. And, and right. I was, I was basically a, a Jewish atheist, which I right. think actually describes a lot of Jews. There's that a I lot. Know. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Christians yeah. too, obviously, yeah, as we just said, right. As we just said, but Christian Christianity is Judaism. You know, it is sure. a, it is a, um, it is basically a form of Judaism that you can, that you don't have to be that that is not tied to your ethnicity right so it gives it obviously you add that little uh meme change and the viral nature of it is like you know but it is mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's judaism you know like all of the patterns are, are jewish patterns so yeah, I mean, a lot of Jews are like me, where you're raised with the stories, and at the end of yeah. the day, you like going to bar mitzvahs, you like drinking wine, yeah. you like you yeah. like the ceremonies, but exactly. you're not necessarily wedded to it as any kind of ideology. Right. Um, but it's only in in more recent years, and maybe as you say, I think maybe deep inside me, maybe I still did hold on to some kind of some kind of version of this story because sure. at the end of the day, I mean, there are there are many libertarians who come at things from. You know, I read all of Human Action, and then I read Rothbard, and I just think I see the efficiency, and I just know no matter what, no matter what somebody wants in life, it's it's always going to be economically better because of you know everything mm -hmm. we learned from this. But I've never met anyone in my well, I shouldn't say I've never met anyone. I've met I've interviewed some people on the show that say they got to libertarianism 
through that sort of thought process. But does that really move anyone? Like, are you going to sit down, like you kind of said earlier, sit down with someone in Nazi Germany, hand them human action, wait for them to take to three years to, to read it and understand economics? Even if they do that, is it really going to move them? Is it really going to, is there, is there any kind of story there? And I, this kind of plays into a lot of things you've been talking about and a lot of things I've been reading about. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. So yeah. I think if somebody, if somebody said either burn that copy and step on and spit on that copy of human action volume one, or I'm going to kill you. And if you step on, if you step on it and spit on it and then throw it into the fire, I will just let you go on your own. I don't think there's anybody who's dying for human action, but yet that exact (laughs) scenario has happened with Jews and Christians and Muslims for millennia that where they have said, there's, are you kidding me? There's at kill me now. Go ahead. Do it right now. I will not renounce this. And that tells you something about how you fight because that's where the fight is. The fight is not out here. The fight is in here because it's in the hearts of the people that you're fighting anyway. Because if you want to even win a war, read the art of war from the beginning. Sun Tzu says the greatest. The greatest generals and the, 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 the supreme means of fighting is to win a war without fighting at all. So much of that book is about making it so that the will of the enemy is not there to fight at all. And that that's actually way preferable. And so how do you do that? First, the will has to be in your own people. And th- then their will on the other side needs to be degraded. You need to have stronger will. This is, this is any warfighter knows this. This is the reason for psychological operations. This is the reason for weapons of mass destruction. This is the reason for all of these things, shock and awe, right? Your enemies know this. You have to put something in your heart, a tool that you are willing to die for. And if you are willing to die for Christ, guess what? You have all of the libertarian, a real, a Christian is a libertarian, a real Christian, a real Christian is a libertarian life, liberty, pursuit of happiness that comes from the real Christian story, right? And that they are trying to be righteous. You get in, if uh, from a real Christian, truly righteous and consistent Christian, you will get a world and a life that is the libertarian utopia. That is the kingdom of God. It's actually the, it's actually the Christian story. <laughs> the Christian, st- the kingdom of God is Ancapistan. This is what uh, this is what is totally missing from out of the cognitive framework. It's that, hey, and Kapistan, that idea of this utopia based on principle that <laughs> my daughter say guy based on principle, too, that is that what you're saying is and Kapistan is an old pattern. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. Right. And even before that, it's Israel. It is the, the, the mimetic Israel, the promised land. This is an ancient pattern. And it's like, yo, man, but are you willing to die for Ancapistan? Really? I know you're willing to LARP for Ancapistan, right? I know you're willing to put on body armor and carry around an AR-15 in a march. I know you're willing to do that. But are you willing to not carry any weapons? Are you willing to sheath your sword and be executed publicly for it? Because that's a totally different thing. 
And guess what? If you want to know how you actually win the war, it's the latter, not the former. Gandhi can speak to that. Martin Luther King can speak to that. Jesus can speak to that. I know what a lot of people are are thinking, uh, listening to this, watching this right now. They're thinking, all right, so here's what Vince telling me I got to do. I, I, I got to become a martyr. I have to die to 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 see the world I want to see. Well, look, Vin, I got a family. I got a wife. I got a kids. I don't want to yeah. be a martyr. I just want to get my freedoms back. I just want to prevent vaccine passports. Then you don't get your freedoms back. Then you don't get your freedoms back. That's the answer. You don't get your freedoms back. Hold on. Hey, baby. Yeah, it's all good. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Go, Valentina. See if my wife can grab her. <laughs> it's all good. She's so she's cute. Getting fired, she's, she's getting she's fired so up cute. too. You know? Yeah, she hears me. <laughs> but the, the answer is this. You don't get your freedoms back. There's a great book that I would, ha- I would suggest that everybody read. It's uh, by uh, Rod Dreher, who also wrote this book, The Bene- Benedict Option. It was a bestseller. But this book is recent. And it's since like the COVID stuff and since all of these lockdowns and whatnot. And it's called Live Not by Lies. And it's him in Eastern Europe. Uh, he spent a lot of time interviewing these uh, Catholics and Orthodox in the former Soviet Union about how they behaved during that time. And it really was about and, and these people are, are seen as being the true revolutionaries that changed everything there. You know, and it was between printing Samizdat. They got arrested many times. They were holding uh, you know, mass in their home. They were bringing people in and just e- exposing them to, they would watch Westerns, American Westerns, right? This is truly what ended the Soviet regime. It has to end from inside where the will of the people, what you're presenting to them when they're, they're ready. And they need to see, wow, that look at the principle of that person. If you read the lives of the saints, Like there are so many scenarios where there are saints who are martyred and as they're being martyred, literally the people who are executing them are like, this is too powerful. They're so moved by it that they're like, I can't kill them anymore. You're going to have to kill me. And they become martyrs in that moment. And it's like you, it's everybody around. It's not getting on the biggest platforms and spitting that hot fire. It's living in truth. That's the fire. That's the fire. It's not railing against this and railing against that. You can rail. That's perfectly fine. But are you willing to bear your cross as well? Because you say, I've got a, oh, I've got kids and I've got a family and all of that. And it's like, okay, you've got kids and a family. If I, if, if there was a chance that through your, I mean, I'm a father. If somebody tells me, look, here's the options. Either you do nothing and you basically have to wait and your children and their children and their children will grow up under tyranny, or you live in truth and you're a martyr for this cause. And there's at least a 1% chance that your children get freedom as opposed to a zero. And you just continue on. I think that's the real, and it's bigger than 1%, by the way. And what people will have to give up is there's not going to be gulags. There's not going to be gas chambers. It's not even that. It's like, it's literally comfort. That's it. You're going to have to give up the brave new world. You're going to have to lose some comfort. You're going to have to take some risks. You're going to, maybe your whole family has to eat ramen for a month. 
Maybe it's for a year. Maybe it's for two. Right? But that's the degree that it's going to go to. But we're so soft. We're so soft. Like it's not consumerism. It's not buying another AR. It's not, it's not buying a 3D printer so you can print pieces of it. You haven't used it. They've taken everything from you. They've literally taken your entire civilization and you haven't fired a shot. You haven't fired a shot. If you haven't fired a shot now, you ain't firing a shot in the future. That's just LARPing. It's LARPing. And, and we're doing people a disservice when we do anything but call it LARPing. We are doing them an extreme disservice because our enemies know it's LARPing. The people who want to oppress us, the people who want to turn us into their slaves even more than we are and have been steadily implementing it, know that it's LARPing. They know that they can distract you. I want to get back to something uh, we touched on earlier, talking about the story, talking about the narrative, because no matter what you believe, um, like I was saying earlier, the people that you just mentioned that are implementing this stuff, the people that are are causing the situation that we're in, the thing that we're fighting, that people are trying to fight against, whether it's through the, the Mises Caucus, through the Libertarian Party, through whatever it might be, those people have a belief system. Oh, Maybe yeah. not one single belief system, but they definitely have belief systems, uh, whether it's worshiping Moloch at, at Bohemian yep. Grove or yep. one of a million different things. And and once you start to see these things, it's so obvious. I mean, I, I think for people out there that uh, I think a lot of people now are following like the work of people like Jonathan Pajot, who's, yeah. who's, who can points out a lot of the symbolism, like if you think that symbolism is there just for kicks, like I, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's no. it's there for reasons, and it, you don't have to believe in in like a, a Satan figure or actual literal demons to understand that these people do, they or do. they believe in something like that. Yes. So how are you going to combat that without at least knowing your enemy, without at least understanding your enemy, and without playing on the same battlefield? Well, you're going to you're going to go on the biggest platforms in the world and spit that hot libertarian fire. Right. That's going to do it. You're going to rail against uh, uh, social welfare programs and the military industrial complex and on the biggest platform spitting that hot libertarian fire. Right. That's going to do it. That'll do it. That'll do it. All right, guys. Well, speaking of hot libertarian fire, you know who is spitting that hot libertarian fire? Not one, not two, not three, but five days a freaking week. It is our good friends, Nate and Charlie, over at Good Morning Liberty. Uh, just like Brian's show, Good Morning Bleephead, uh, this one airs every single day and doesn't always air in the morning, but it is a daily great look at the events of the day, and these guys just do great commentary, great work. You don't want to miss the dumb bleep of the week, that's for sure. Uh, you're going to want to subscribe so you don't miss a single day of the great analysis from Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. These guys have worked in the healthcare industry, in the music industry. They have some really interesting perspectives on the ideas of liberty. Very valuable perspectives. That's why I am a subscriber to the show as well, and you should be too. So check them out wherever you find podcasts. And of course, at their amazing URL, BernieLies.com. So do you see any role for the political system in the United States to combat this stuff in any way or to spread a message? Or or do you just think it should be abandoned entirely if we're really trying to create a, a real change here? I, I really don't know at this point what type of like how asleep and unaware 
you have to be to think that that which we call the political system in the United States still exists. Have you not paid attention to the executive orders over the last year? Like seriously, extrajudicially. And people are like, well, yeah, but they we take them to what we do is we take them to the courts and then we sue and then we do this and then they get dropped. And it's like, yeah, a lot of these things got dropped after how long? Six months, seven months. And the thing is, you have to win those every single time. They only have to win them once because the one thing that it didn't do is it didn't bar them from making another executive order in the future. It just took down that particular one. But they can print these things up and, and, and sign them. No problem. This is where we're at. There is no like, and it's, it's like, okay, maybe if you said, well, we're going to, we have some idea that we are going to replace all the governors. Well, first off, replace them with libertarians. First off, if in, in a democracy, you're going to need votes. Okay. So first off, you, th there aren't even a majority of people aligned with your beliefs. That's the first thing. The second thing is no matter how much talking you do, there's never going to be that many people aligned with your beliefs because this is not, this is human nature. There have even, even when the declaration of independence was written, it was a minority of people that were in support of it in the colonies. Okay. So it's like, it's always a minority of people. And then the second thing is you, you suck at politics. Like these are in, two entrenched political parties with so much power. And neither one of them has an interest in relinquishing power because it isn't just like it's only been Democrats using these executive orders. So the governor of Texas, you know, rescinded the mask mandates and, and now has said, oh, well, businesses can't. And I, I believe that uh, DeSantis in Florida has done it, too, saying, well, business, we're, we're barring. We're barring businesses from taking, uh, you know, these vaccine from demanding vaccine passports. Oh, OK. How did he do it? With an executive, executive order. order. Mm -hmm. OK, so you're not it's not even like you're living in, in truth. It's not even like principle. Right. So you're like political process. We need the political process. Constitutional. Yeah. DeSantis. Great executive order. It's like what? God, it's like, dude, no, you're living a lie. You want it to go your way, but you're already not in the majority. You're in the minority. You're a Jew in Nazi Germany. It kind of reminds me of something we discussed last time, how, you know, there was, I think at the time, well, not probably still now, but there was restaurants in LA that were starting to open up uh, with certain conditions upon them. And there was a video of one guy just, you know, giving hell to, well, not really hell, just kind of, <laughs> kind of sort of yelling uh, to at the, uh, the health inspector saying, look, I've complied with all your stuff. I've done this, I've done that. And you're still shutting me down. And I yeah. kind of see it similarly here. It's like, well, you've already agreed to the yes. premise. You've yes. already agreed to the premise. So if you're now, look, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle here. Like, yeah, I don't want vaccine passports used. So part of me is like, good. I don't want them used. But the other part of me is like, but I can't really agree to this premise. Can I, can I really agree to the premise that a state governor should be you know, using executive orders to ban business from, from doing things? And then that's going to be our salvation here. We all move to Florida and we're all good now. Uh, I, I'd like to think it's that simple, but again, I, I see it as similar in that, well, maybe you're getting a concession that you like in the moment. Maybe these restaurants are getting a concession they like in the 
moment because they can finally open for, you know, six hours a day or something as long as they keep people 25 feet apart. But they've made the concession already. And I, I feel like there's a similarity here where, OK, well, fine. Maybe you like that Governor DeSantis is banning vaccine passports, but you've just made the concession that tyranny is all good. Well, this is Plato said this in the Republic like 4000 years ago, man. You know what I mean? He, it's, it's no, I'm sorry. Twenty four hundred four hundred B.C. Plato in the Republic says um, this and no other is the root from which a tyrant springs. When first he appears above ground, he is a protector. And it's like, look, the same way that you think that it is great that DeSantis is protecting you with his executive order is the same way that the woke think that Gavin Newsom is a god and that he is protecting them with executive orders. But the fact of the matter is that even the ancients knew it always starts with a protector. Plato wrote this in the Republic. He said this and no other is the root from which a tyrant springs. When first he appears above ground, he is a protector. That is to say, it's every tyrant first appeared as a protector in what they did. And because that was it, people abandoned their principles. This is a common pattern, man. This actually kind of makes me think of somebody specific uh, that you've mentioned a couple of times. And once you started talking about it, and when I see it, I can't stop seeing it every time I see him now. I'm not sure if you might know who I'm alluding to, but you've talked a little bit about Matthew McConaughey lately. Yes. Has he's oh, been God. being pushed as... and I Because what I fear the most now is not even the wokeness, not like Joe Biden and his his sort of, you know, his catering to the woke crowd. It's, it's kind of like the reaction to that and the kind of people that are right now that are considered themselves libertarians. Those people that are cheering DeSantis might be the same people People that might choose the anti that might cheer the anti woke dictator that might come along as the sort yes. of counterbalance to that. One hundred percent, dude, they, bro. The Libertarian Party, those people who are in that, just wait. This is going to be this is my Vinstradamus here. Just so Matthew McConaughey is lining himself up for some sort of major political thing, some sort of major run. It's either going to be governor of Texas and or president. So it might be governor of Texas. And then within two years, president, he'll he'll abandon the governorships. This is this actually a path to the presidency. I mean, George W. Bush did it right. So the, and it's it's a common path. It's a path that works. And he's got the name recognition. I guarantee you that the libertarian that people within the libertarian party are going to be like, you know, he's a pretty he's probably a pretty good decision. Like, he's probably pretty good. Like, he seems like he's he's probably kind of for free market. Yeah, he's, so. he seems like a free market guy. You know, he's coming from out. And it's like, oh, he's from Texas. He's probably Jesus, all right. Jesus. Like, I guarantee. And the reason why is because it's, it's a lack of principles. You couldn't have a less principled person than an actor. And it's not like we haven't had an actor as president before. Ronald Reagan. And look at how much the conservatives love him. And it's like, no, he's an actor. But Matthew McConaughey was in Dallas Buyers Club. Surely he picked up a thing or two. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying, you know what I mean? Like, no, that's, it's real. It's real. Like those characters that he played. Well, and look, we had an Donald Trump. Because had Donald Trump not done The Apprentice, that's what people like. We got to go back to 2016. 
right? The Apprentice was just coming off being like the biggest show on television, basically. And who people saw Donald Trump as was the guy at the boardroom. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. It's all acting. But that was who, oh, he's so, he's authoritative. He knows what he's doing. You know, he knows how to delegate and put, you know, all these people on. Then he even put Omarosa, who was on the show, who was a big character on the show. He even put her as like a key advisor in the White House. It's like, come on, man. Come on, man. Right. It's this is (laughs) this people are. When you when you have no principles, then all you go with is aesthetic preference. Because those are the two. That's what we're talking about here, right? Is that it's like, no, you have no problem with executive orders. You just don't like that executive order. When it's your guy, when it's your aesthetic preference, you're fine with the executive order. And this is, this is I'm not asking people to read the Bible. I'm not asking them to do any of that. I'm saying, find something that you're willing to die for. But what I know is that the people who look in earnest, you end at the thing, at, at, at the pattern that people have been willing to die for. And when you look, it's always religious. It's always religious. Why? Because those are the most powerful patterns because they are consistent. They describe reality. And if you live that way, your life gets better. If you live that way, you get more free. Who's going to die for, you know, 3% greater GDP Nobody. or like slightly better point. market efficiency, you know? That's the that's the point is that no one is going to die for that, but your enemies are willing to kill for something else, right? They're not so much willing to die, but they're certainly willing to kill. And as libertarians, see, we don't have that option because our principles, if it is don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, we've cut ourselves off from the it's sufficient to be willing to kill. We've cut ourselves off from it. We, can't, we, we are not allowed to say, well, I, I'm willing to kill for it, but I'm not willing to die for it. You can't say that and be a libertarian. You can't. You can't. Okay? So, because that, even if you're someone who's like, well, I believe in self-defense, defensive violence, it's like, well, when you enter into that, if you're like, yeah, I've got my guns. And if you come on my property and you come armed, it's going to be. So you're, what you're actually saying is I'm willing to die because you're not surrendering, right? You're not surrendering, but the person coming on doesn't have to be willing to die. They have to be willing to kill. And then if it gets too tough for them, they're going to retreat. But you're saying you won't retreat. This is the whole idea. And so it's like, what are you willing to die for? Right. And if it's just like, well, if you don't have kids and you don't have a family, what are you willing to die for? Probably not much. Seriously. And that's why we are where we are. And that's why it works for the powers that be to be like, don't have children. Have your career. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold off. Be old. Be old and tired and set in your ways when you have children. Do that. It's very important. This is like the moment or not the moment per se, but the, these past couple of years are like the collective moment where I'm like, oh, I'm I'm the old person now because like 10 years ago, 
I thought that kind of thinking was like the old fashioned way. Like, oh yeah, everyone gets married and has kids, blah, blah, blah. I don't need to do that. I can just live my life and have a good time and have fun. And, uh, you know, now 10 years ago, I, and like 10 years later or so from that kind of the time I might've had that attitude more. So I, I look back and now I just see like the nefarious nature of mm-hmm. everybody that pushes that sort of message. Mm-hmm. I, I see, I, I mean, I, I'm in no way, um, anti-trans or anti-gay or anything like that uh and then 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 people will now go clip whatever i say next and whatever <laughs> i don't care uh, but i i can see that why this stuff is pushed so much um, of course. i'm i'm all for everyone's rights to do whatever they want but there's a difference between agreeing with the rights to do what they want and actually pushing it and actually saying yes children should take hormone bo- blockers when yes. they're 13 because they can't make that decision yet and they're going to be better off for it and and if you oppose that you're a monster i mean and, and so this stuff is so obvious to me now that i i I almost can't even believe that I, that I ever thought otherwise. But it, it's once you see some of these things, uh, like once you see Matthew McConaughey as a potential next Antichrist, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. he plants this idea in your mind, it's hard not to see it when you see him in interviews and you see the way he's being talked to and you see the ways he's saying profound things without saying anything at all. Doesn't uh, say anything. Yeah, it's amazing. Anything. Like, like it's, it's it is actually really amazing. It's actually really yeah. impressive. Yeah, I, it, it's it's really weird. Uh, I I don't know. I kind of um, as I've been gone down this journey lately, I believe more and more in. <laughs> synchronicity and mm. it wasn't long before i saw you start to tweet about matthew mcconaughey one night i had this dream that i was supposed to interview matthew mcconaughey mm. and i was like free it's like a common dream i have where i'm supposed to do something but I, i'm running late like sometimes <laughs> right. it's like yeah, class or something yeah, yeah. It's, it's like one of my most common dreams but in this case it was specifically matthew mcconaughey and i don't even remember if the interview happened but i just remember i just remember his face in there and then not a couple weeks later i see you tweeting about this guy you know <laughs> being the, the the next strong man or something like that mm-hmm. and i'm just like well why did that appear in my brain i don't know maybe maybe there's a rational reason for it but uh it's just one of those things where i was like well wow, wow okay. patterns so we put together patterns which i think gets to the the point of like this is the powers and principalities idea is that why did the ancients see there as being these organizing systems above them And I think as materialists, we can kind of explain it. So like somebody might say, well, there's a demonic and satanic plot to make it so that people don't have children. And you could go like, okay, that's that like for a mystic who understands what that is. Like if you at a simple level, if you live as though that is true, um, you know, you have the same result as if you really understand what's going on. And it's just basically like that people don't have children. For the exact reasons that we said, they have, there's very little that they're like, eh, somebody else is being oppressed over there. Eh, you know, my neighbor got dragged out. Eh, you know, if you don't have kids. But there's this thing that happens when, like, you know, you have children and just biologically things change and psychologically things change. And now it is your job to protect these little creatures. Mm -hmm. And you become way more aware of potential threats. Threats that you wouldn't think about. I mean, I, there, I have to, if I'm with my wife and kids, the places that I am willing to go, like literally just physically walk, are incredibly different than single me. Sure. Yeah. Right? I mean, single me could go into the most dangerous areas <laughs> at any time of day or night and get into whatever kind of stuff and feel like, oh, you know, I got to watch my own back and everything, but if shit hits the fan, I can handle myself. 
Oh, totally different when it's like I'm with my wife and children. It's like, I'm not even going to take that risk. And so you think about how beneficial it is for fighting age men, right? Fighting age men, particularly, to not have children. How beneficial that is to a tyrant, to a tyrannical power structure. Because they're, they're naturally going to be less aware of threats to whatever, because it's only them anyway. So who else are they protecting? Exactly. Exactly. And, they're, and they're, they're, their view is less, it's less forward thinking. They're not planning. They're not looking for, okay, who's a potential threat up there? Because if you're, you know, it, it is just like, just very simple that it's like, if I'm a single man, how far ahead of me does my focus have to be if I'm walking down a dark street at night, right? In terms of assessing a threat. But if I'm walking with my wife or I'm walking with my kid, I mean, my head is on a swivel. My, my scope of my view of how far ahead of me I'm looking and planning out is completely different. And that's just natural. And that goes into the metaphor of like, how do I view Matthew McConaughey? Right. It's completely different if I'm like a 25 year old guy who's looking at him like, and this and this is how you get a Hitler. Who were Hitler's followers? Young, single men. They probably thought he was cool. They probably thought he was really did. cool. <laughs> of course they did. Like Elon Musk, same scenario. Mm-hmm. Right. But men who like have children and have a family and then they look and they're like, look at what he thinks is OK. Mm hmm. Like naming your kid like AE553, <laughs> that's actually child abuse. That's actually child abuse. And then like you look at the things that his wife, the mother of his child is doing, and you're like, this is what she's showing herself doing publicly. Like how, how weird is it in private? And would I want my children alone with that woman? Like, no. So... Maybe Elon's not a good person. Like, maybe he's not my friend. Maybe he's not somebody that I would emulate. But if you don't have kids, you're, you don't even, you're not even there. And so it's like, it isn't that it's a satanic plot, but it's just like, if young people, if, if people in their 20s aren't having children, fighting age men, are not having children, your society is going to be completely different by definition because the amount of tyranny that will be allowed by those individuals will be significantly more. I don't remember the exact uh, chart, not to break up a chart, but it was a a chart or a graph that showed like sexual activity of males. And like, it was like, it, it was some insane number of males that had not had sex that were 30 years old, I'm probably like misstating it, but it's something I think you're right. Get, something like that. That were 30 years old that had not had sex since they were like 21, I think. I think it's like it was 30 percent or something like that. It's it was high like 20s, that. I think. It was. And it's honestly the scariest stat I've ever yes. seen in my life because I it just I, I can't even imagine. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I mean, what must be inside someone who has not had that kind of mm-hmm. intimacy in their life at all, even a little bit over that kind of time span. What does that person even have to live for? That person is, is going to be the kind of person that's either going to go shoot up something randomly yep. or is going to be so easily influenced and so taken in by something, something that is providing them some kind of meaning. And there's a pretty good chance that that something is, is not going to be good for the rest of us. Well, and it's not, it breeds nihilism. Really? That's the real thing that it breeds is like, 
an actual joy at seeing the world burn. So a resentment, right? A, a joy at watching somebody's, some guy's small business fall apart that you were never able to have any success in business or with women or money, that watching somebody's family be destroyed. Um, I, I think that that's what actually a lot of this is. Like, I think that a, a lot of what is going on in woke culture, well, they say that's what it is, right? They say that what they're out to do is smash the patriarchy. And so it's like, well, what does that, what does that mean? Patriarchy meaning, well, Potter is father. So it's like patriarchy, meaning father at the top of the hierarchy. And it's like, man, is that really what you want to smash? Like, I can understand that you don't want abusive fathers at the top of the hierarchy. Of course you don't. But really like a loving, caring father who will die for his family, which is most fathers, by the way. Like, although we're flawed human beings... Most fathers are, would be willing to die for their family, really at the drop of a hat to protect their children. Like that's just, it's built into us. And so it's like, do you really want to remove that? Like, are you, are you really sure that, that you want a society that isn't built on the idea that men would die for their families? That men would give their, because if they're willing to die, they're certainly willing to work their asses off, which has always been the case. That they're, and then they're willing to band together to defend in mutual defense other, others. And so it's like, wow. Yeah, that does look satanic. <laughs> like, if there was a such thing as Satan, isn't that exactly what? So it's like, okay. All right. And I think that's like the big thing that I take from, you know, reading your book specifically. It's like some, a lot of the stuff in there. I actually, I think you do it in a way that it never really comes across preachy because you kind of go back and forth interweaving between some like allegorical stories. And then you actually sort of breaking down a lot of concepts. Uh, I, I mean, I think really your book is actually like an explanation of libertarianism without, without ever you. really saying it that, Thank you. but sort of basing it on, you know, on a, a deeper philosophy um, that, that you hold. And I, I never thought I'd, I would read a book that, uh, uh, not only like taught me some biblical concepts, but also taught me libertarianism, even as someone who's <laughs> been a libertarian for 20 years and also somehow ties into Bitcoin. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> all in the same book. So I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about okay. the book itself, but I, I want to talk more broadly about like what what has driven you to do this? Like what, what exactly, when did you answer the call? Because I, I remember mm. when we first talked a year ago, the end of that interview, you said something along the lines of, all right, well, I'm not really going to do any more podcasts. So I'm just going to go off into the sunset, work on my projects and that's it. And here we are. I, I think he did maybe a couple interviews after mm -hmm. that, but since our last one in December, I think I've seen you on like every podcaster. I, I know uh, every friend I've made in the podcasting world has interviewed Vin the last few months. You've been on with Buck Johnson, Mike Brancatelli, mm -hmm. Thaddeus Russell. Uh, so what what changed for you from a year ago where it seemed like you just kind of wanted to you know, say your piece, go on with your life and work yep. on your stuff. But now it really seems like you're making a much more proactive effort to be out there talking about this stuff publicly. So did, did, did something specific happen that that changed that for you? There was a definite. There was a there's a definite thread. And I think that really, yeah, the last time we talked. My. So I had been sort of pursuing a daily practice of contemplation, which had grown out of, it used to be, I used to say that the gym is my church. And since I had kids, 
you know, when I was a single man, it used to be 11 a.m. I'd wake up and go to the gym and do my thing and whatever. But, uh, those those are the days yeah, of 11 a.m. Rolling out of bed yeah. at 11 a.m. Nice. I remember them, them well, yeah. Yes. I don't want to go back, but I remember it somewhat. Fondly. Yes. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's nostalgia, right? It's nostalgia, but I wouldn't go back. But it's the best I, time you never want to have again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> since I had kids, it would be, uh, you know, get up basically before sunrise because that was the time when everybody's asleep. I could go. I could do my stuff come back and then you know i'd be back for a little while before everybody woke up and that seemed to work for everyone right that it wasn't i wasn't dipping out on my wife in the morning and i i wasn't going having to go at lunch at work and so i could keep going on you know what i mean with whatever i was working on and that started when we moved to new hampshire in 2018 and i carried it on and then when uh when we had moved back to california and the gyms got closed because of the lockdown right before we came here you know, it wasn't about lifting weights anymore, but it was like I did meditation and then some yoga and stretching, some body weight exercises and whatnot. And then when we moved here, I continued with that, but on, I was doing it on the beach in the mornings. And I was getting, I had written maybe a, about a third of the book. And I had this vein that I was following of this render unto Caesar story and some things about Bitcoin and some things about reciprocity. Those things were kind of already there, things that I understood. And something weird happened where it was kind of this process of feedback. And it was during the time that sort of we were, that I was talking to you, but what was happening was I was going out and having this practice of contemplation and some, some exercise and some other things that was having this feedback of giving, of, of filling in the gaps on this book. So very much in my other books, what it had been is just like this, it's inspiration. I just got to write off inspiration and something's going to come. I trust the process. I open myself up to it and then I write. And this other concept started coming of th that was, it, it was this Trinitarian Christian pattern, right? And it was explaining a lot of the things. And so then I was like, ah, oh, maybe I, maybe I should be praying. And that would, since it feels like this is related to this Trinitarian sort of Christian pattern, but it still has this material aspect, maybe it would be better if I started like integrating a little bit of prayer just to put my mind more into that space, right? So I've had a lot of spiritual experience and, and, and done a lot of things. And so through that specific practice, or are you talking about in the past? In the past, in the past, in many different ways. And so I know that it's like, you know, it's set and setting. You want to put your mind into the pattern. And I was like, well, let me try to pick up. And one of the things that I picked up was the, the Jesus prayer. And so I was like, okay, this is this sort of, it relates to me in a way that it feels very experiential. It's kind of a mantra. It's long practiced by Orthodox Christianity. It's seen as one of the most key things that, that Orthodox Christians do. Um, many pray it every single day. I do now for sure. And in that practice, it was like a, door opened up somehow. And not only was I being given the information that winds up in this book and that it's just coming like, brrr, but I'm also giving information about how to change and modify that practice so that I then it's almost like <laughs> whatever is coming to me is also teaching me how to pray, which I then learn is actually something that the Orthodox actually pray for to the Holy Spirit. You'll see time and time again in the writings of the saints and in the liturgical prayers, teach me how to pray. They ask the Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray. 
and that the way that you pray actually is told to you by the Holy Spirit, which is, I mean, this is a, a very Jewish concept, right? It's that like, (laughs) this is a very, very Jewish that like Yahweh is the one who, I mean, everything from Noah building his ark to the ark of the covenant to everything. (laughs) He tells you what's up. He tells you how to build the temple. He tells you how to do it. Right. And how to pray to him. And so, uh, this, I had this experience and it dumped the book onto me. But one of the things that I was given in that was one day coming back. It was also telling me to do other things that was weird. And it was Go just on like lines of Liberty. Well, it, it was, <laughs> it, well, it started with, uh, you're going to do a, this class and you're going to call it Bitcoin mystery school. And you're only going to let in like 20 people into the class. And it's going to be on this because it was a lot of the concepts that were coming up related to Bitcoin. Cause I was working on Bitcoin at the same time. It was meshing the concepts and it was in, it was, Hold on one second. Oh, good. So it was, <laughs> she's so, she's so cute. It's hard to like, <laughs> uh, so. this is how I know I'm, I'm a different person than five years ago. Cause probably five years ago, I'd be like, oh, this guy with this fuck is kid here. She, now I'm like, oh, she's adorable. You know, it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> I can see my own evolution. In oh, front it's of my good. It's good, man. <laughs> um, but, but it was actually within that, that, my first class filled right up, which I was like, this is weird. People want this. This is really weird. And I was actually reached out to by somebody. And he was like, hey, we had talked before. And he's an Orthodox Christian. And he was like, hey, there's some guys in my parish. There's like 10 of us. We kind of have a brotherhood. We, we, we meet and talk. Could we do like a private class? And they ended up actually being the first private class. And in that, in that group was their priest, a Serbian Orthodox priest. I've talked about him before. And they were actually the first ones to take this class. So weirdly enough, right? Like out of nowhere that like, here I am doing this Jesus prayer, which is the Orthodox Christian prayer. It tells me do Bitcoin mystery school. And who reaches? And it's like, hey, we've got 10 guys. We want to do the private class and we want to be the first ones. And in that is this priest. And who is now my spiritual father? Because through that and interacting with them, I was like, you know, could you help me out with my prayers? I'm doing these prayers. I'd love to talk with you. And we just, we hit it off. And then it was like, boom, level up. And it was more information and whatnot. So for me, that's what changed. What changed was I had this experience that lines up with all of these things and that the delivery is that book. So what I would say is two thirds or more of that book is what you might say is like almost like channeled. That literally it would be out at prayer. I would walk out, do my prayers. And on the way back, the entire section would be delivered to me. And I would just sit down and write. So like, that's what you're seeing in that book is, is that. And it was that fact that, that it produced that was so, it has been so undeniable to me. And the things that it brought into my life that then, you know, I basically said, Hey, if people want, these pre copies of the book, just reach out to me. And, and if you are a podcaster and you want to talk and it, it snowballed from off of that. And then I just have not it's said, it's just no. the Jew in me. If I see, if I see something for free or a good deal, like that's just my instinct. I'm like free book. I'm in, let's do it. I'll sign the deal. You can come back on. Sure. But <laughs> everyone's got their own reasons. It's bit, so, so that, that was it. And honestly, like I also told myself that I'm taking a, 
I promised myself that I'm doing a sabbatical, like starting next week. I'm not doing any more interviews. So again, with you, right? It's like for real this time, for real. <laughs> until 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 I'm called again. But the thing is that I have not, I have so much coding work, and I now know what I need to do in terms of the next thing. And it's very important that I get that I do this software work and this Bitcoin work. Like it's very very important. So, um, so yeah, it's it's uh, you know it probably won't be the last time. I think the yeah, it probably it probably won't, but it'll be the last spat, I think, because I'm pretty exhausted, I gotta say. Like it's been an exhausting process, but I'm glad and I, I think that the response of this last, let's say, 60 days from people has been that it's really helped them a lot. So, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to I'm just trying to deliver what I've been given and to spread it on and just to bear witness in that in that way. All right, guys, we are in the home stretch here. We've just got a little more we're going to dive into with Vin. But first, I've got to make sure you guys know about one of our great supporters, great sponsors, great patrons. That is Zach over at Lauren Zotti, Italy. And if you need to pick me up, if you need a boost, if you need a little extra energy to get through some of these long podcast interviews, well, then look no further than Lorenzotti Italy. They deliver fine, premium ground or bean or whatever kind of coffee you want right to your front door at very, very, very affordable prices. Prices made even more affordable by using discount code LIONS at checkout for 10% off your order. Uh, if that all wasn't enough, these guys are not just a uh, coffee connoisseurs and procure I can never say this word that I'm trying to say. They they get you good coffee, all right? That's all you need to know. Uh, but they also help other entrepreneurs out there trying to get their own start in the coffee industry. Uh, people that are trying to start their own coffee shops. They help people get access to financing, uh, to purchase equipment, all of that great stuff. So just one of the many, many reasons to support our friends at Lauren Zotti Italy. You can find them over at laurenzotti.coffee. And don't forget to use that discount code lions at checkout for 10% off your order. This kind of brings us back a little bit to what you something you do talk about in the the book in a general way kind of the, the importance of of a practice and that you've talked about in a lot of interviews and this actually I actually didn't even intend to do that. This is a weird synchronicity again. Right when I say the word practice, I, I accidentally clicked over to the notes that I had that I never looked at because I have this habit where I create notes for an interview because I've done it since the beginning, but I don't even look at them anymore. Right. But I actually just did. But I wrote down this quote um, and it's the it starts with the word practice. So I'm just going to read this quote okay. that I already kind of had in my mind, but okay. I think it really sums up. It, it, it's where you're talking about the concept of sin um, and, and the way you the way you kind of phrase what the concept is, I think can make sense to people that it doesn't matter if you're a believer yes. in, in Christianity or any religion at all. You can be an atheist and understand this concept the way you're yes. laying it out. But the quote is practice without theory means never reliably hitting the mark. Theory without practice means never even attempting to hit the mark. Both scenarios are sin. The wages of sin are death. And I think this this ties into obviously everything you've been talking mm -hmm. about, you know, here and, and elsewhere. But do you want to just expand on this idea uh, more? It's not even where I was originally going with the question, sure. but 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 take it from there because I think this is such an important uh, you know, concept to lay out. So sin. So the the Hebrew word for sin, kata, I guess I'm saying if I'm saying it correctly, it basically it's means enough. Yeah, it means to miss the mark. So like archery, you know, you miss the mark, and I think that that's a really good way. Of under in, in Greek, it's hamartia. So that's that's what would be in the New Testament. So the when you understand it that way, when somebody says, I'm a sinner, or we're all sinners, you start to be like, oh, that's not even like a 
religious thing. That's just like self-awareness that your, your, your nature is to miss the mark, like hitting the mark. You're not born to hit the mark. You know, you can't, you can't make uh, have a 90% free throw shooting average, just stepping onto the court. Nobody does. You can't. How do you get that? When you watch a professional basketball player, when you watch an NBA point guard, and the expectation is if they go to the free throw line, if you're a point guard in the NBA and you go to the free throw line and you miss, something's wrong. You probably shouldn't be uh, like, it's a rarity, right? You're supposed to have a 90 plus free throw average if you're a point guard, for sure, or a shooting guard, definitely. Maybe a center, like that was the whole thing, Shaquille O'Neal. Send him to the line, he can't shoot. That's a problem, Mm -hmm. right? And what's the answer? Practice. Thousands and thousands of hours of practice. Not thousands of shots. Oh, no, no, no. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of free throws have been shot by the time somebody makes it to the NBA, right? In terms of practice. And so that is what a practice is. A practice is literally a a regular, consistent behavior with a goal of hitting the mark. And that could be a practice of art, right? So you're an artist. Practice, you know, that's how you're able to draw so well. Why? You've practiced many times. And so then as someone practices, so let's say the first time someone's practicing, what you start to develop is the theory to where you can teach somebody else. And you say, and there's theory of with everything, right? What's the correct stroke? I was a swimmer in my, in my early days, right? Played many sports, but it's like sports, especially there's theory, you know, how do you, how do you hold the ball when you're shooting a basketball, right? Like how does the spin come off the back of your fingers? Like, what are you looking at? What are you aiming at? How are you stepping like one, two, three with the step, like uh, for a layup, like all of these things, that's the theory. Now, if you are, have the will to practice and you have good theory, you will be able to hit the mark, right? If you practice without theory, that is just throw the ball. You could do that. Just stand there and throw the ball at the net, never trying to be like, well, that didn't work. Let me try something else. Oh, that worked a little bit better. Let me hone it in. Oh, that's a little bit. Okay. Now what if I do this and this, that's theory. And somebody who's worked on the theory, this would be some, what we would call the trainer. That's what they're really showing you. They're showing you how to practice with good form, technique, right? Theory. So, but if you just read the theory of how to shoot a free throw and you never go out and shoot a free throw, that theory doesn't help you at all. You step to the line. It doesn't matter how many things you've read, right? Which libertarians should be listening right now. I was going to say, this seems to tie right back in to what we were discussing towards the beginning of the show, because it seems like myself may be included here. A lot of libertarians, definitely myself over the past, the first few years of the show where all we did was talk philosophy. All we did was look at the intricacies of Rothbard's theory of this or that. Uh, But it's all theory, 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 no practice. So maybe that's what's missing for a lot of the liberty minded here. Well, this is this was my attraction to agorism, really was that it is, you cannot be an agorist without the practice. So it is because it is all about the practice. Like the, the theory is completely worthless without the practice. And as a matter of fact, one of the cool things about it is that 
uh, Konkin, the person who, who coined the term and first sort of described it, when he talks about the counter economy, he basically says, well, there's already people practicing this all over the place, everywhere. It's a huge part of the economy. And that really the goal is to teach them the theory. That it's not the other way around. It's not theory first. It's to go to the people already practicing this and teach them how this is actual political action if they just altered a little bit their intention. How they could hit an even bigger and greater target. Right. So right now they're just trying to hit the profit target. But wouldn't you like to hit a target that would give you even more profit because you would remove the state who's taking from your profit? And this while was like, whoa, this is very good. But this is also why. Christianity or Judaism or Islam as a practice is so valuable is because if you are going to be a practicing Christian, you are going to practice at every moment of your life or Jew. If you're going to practice, you're practicing down to what you are wearing, down to how you are speaking to people, down to what you are eating on a daily basis, how you are grooming yourself. like. All of these are to hit the mark. And that if you are doing this practice and hitting that mark and everybody is hitting the mark, what's been proven is your society survives. Your society hits the mark as a whole. So you have theory and practice that you do every day. And then when a major crisis arises, then you've got a whole bunch of people who know how to hit the mark. That's the key. That it's not just theory. They know how to suffer. They know how to sacrifice. Because those are the things that are necessary when the crisis comes. They know how to organize. They know how to be altruistic. All of these things. And so that's why these practices have continued on for thousands of years, because they help people to survive. One thing I want to ask you that I, I know it's it's what I hear a lot um, that comes up whenever anybody really discusses religion or religious theory or anything like that. Um, even people that that kind of accept like, okay, I can take the Bible and, or even just what Vin is saying uh, about as kind of good allegories for how to live your life, how to live a good life and et cetera. Uh, but then others might just say like, okay, but he doesn't really think that stuff is true. Like he doesn't really think these stories are true. Uh, does he, do you, uh, I do. Like, what's your, what's your response to that? Yeah. So can I do you explain, explain that then is, is what, cause I think that's, that's a gap that a lot of people have a, a problem jumping over. Like a lot of people can say, okay, I, I'm, I'm all, I, I've listened to Jordan Peterson's Bible lectures. I can see all the allegories totally makes sense. It shows you how to live your life, how to get down, find the order, get out of the chaos, but it's not really true. So what what's your response to that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I mean I I, I I'm sure I'm not the first person to bring no, it up. So no, no, no. And I've been speaking about this uh, with people lately. Who this is this is one that is this is one that you can't actually get until you're in the practice for a little while. But I would say you should be skeptical. So for me, I was definitely skeptical and had this book. And, the, and all of these resulting things not happened that basically proved this to me enough that I was proved that, that it was that proof was there. And by the way, this is part of the Christian story is that like these things will be proven to you. Uh, that's it's it. Anyone who's like, you need to take it on faith. That's not the Christian story. That's somebody trying to manipulate you who doesn't have the practice for you. So if you go to or the Orthodox, they say it's all about experience. Like it is, do not take this on faith, do the practice and you will have an experience. And if you don't have an experience, buy. 
But the thing is enough people have had the experience on a constant enough basis that it's still around. And so that kind of gets to the point of like, why do I believe these stories are true? And the best way that I can say it and how I've tried to explain it to people is the Christian story. So people are like, well, the virgin birth, it's not so the virgin birth is, you know, it's like 50%, but the resurrection, right? That, that Christ rose, was resurrected, appeared to the apostles, all of these things. If that, the, the Christian story is predicated on that being literally true. Like with, if that's not, and you just said it, if that is not the case, then at best, Christianity is a set of nice allegories. Mm-hmm. Okay. But nobody's willing to die for a set of nice allegories. Okay? Nobody's dying for Aesop's no. fables. And what you should realize is that those people that the gospel says Jesus appeared to, people like Peter, were martyred. Peter was crucified too. And he demanded to be crucified upside down because he, he refused to be crucified straight up because that, that would say that he was equal to Christ. Imagine that. He went to the cross, but he was like, but crucify me upside down because I'm not even worthy of as Christ. And this is somewhere. So it's predicated on. He said, Christ showed up to me. This story is true. And then was willing to be martyred for it upside down. And that's historically true. So the, and that's true for a lot of the apostles. That's true for Paul as well. Paul was martyred. He was executed. Paul had a road to Damascus. He was struck blind on the road to Damascus. A voice, the risen Christ. He was persecuting Christians. He's walking on Damas- in the road to Damascus, him and two other guys, and this booming voice comes down and says, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he's struck blind for three days can't, and can't eat, can't sleep. Right? And he then went on to, to, I mean, most of the New Testament is written by him. It's his letters after that experience. And then he's willing to be martyred and historically true. So the whole Christian story, well, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it here. It's like this. The whole Christian story is predicated on that being true. The entire thing falls apart if it isn't true, but the, but for 2000 years, people have been willing to die for this story. What about like, I, I don't know how deep on the religious rabbit hole we can go. Fine, we, can yeah, probably do, yeah. we can do seven more hours on this one easy, but um, because these are the kind of things I'm still working out, you sure. know, in my, in my own life kind of as I go. So half of them is our questions coming from me and half are maybe questions coming from like Mark Claire 10 years ago. Sure. Um, but I guess like one thing I would think like, okay, if, if, if Christianity is like the true religion or a, I don't know if you're necessarily saying that, but I'm not saying you know, that. No. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it, it's true is what you're saying either way like, yeah, it's true is our right. our other religions like is is the bhagavad gita true is are these other religions true yeah i mean how, how do you re- how do you reconcile like maybe like how how others around the world develop their religions over the years mm-hmm. that would be totally disconnected from christianity are those people just totally off the mark and totally gonna be you know a sin their whole life because they never saw that that story they never understood that one because maybe they were raised in a household where they they worshiped a ganesh and a bunch of other guys i mean what how how would you view the, these other religions that not necessarily. I, I don't think we compare them the same as we would to, to towards like you know Judaism, Christianity, and, and mm-hmm. Islam, who still sort of worship the same. Not sort of. They do worship the same God. Uh, how do you look at at 
people who have maybe found a similar spiritual practice through a lot of the ancient techniques in sure. Eastern religions. Um, just, just your general thoughts on how you view all of that. Well, I mean, the this notion that like there is only one true religion. Uh, I, and I've said this about like I, I this is something I realized with Bitcoin, too, is that there are a lot of people who are like, there's only one real Bitcoin, like BTC is the real Bitcoin. Uh, you know, BSV is the real Bitcoin. And I've said over and over, like, that is such a s- destructive meme, right? But at the same time, I myself only work on BCH and only have, right? So it's like, for me, there is one that makes sense. There is only one that makes sense for me. And it's the only one that I'm focused on because you can't, thou shall have no other gods but me. Like, basically, the thing is, you can only follow one. So it's just like the US, US dollar, right? The US dollar is not the only currency. Euro is a currency. RMB is a currency, right? The, the, the uh, name it, uh, Mexican peso is a currency. But if you, ask me, if you ask me what's the price of gas, I'm going to tell you in dollars. Like mm-hmm. I can't compute euros. I don't know the value of things in pesos. And you're definitely not going to say it's 0.0023972 Bitcoin. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. And so it's like, it basically the idea is you can pick one. You can pick one, right? You can, you can, I've said it's like an airplane. So all I'm looking at, if you say, well, 747 is the only airplane. It's like, well, that's not true. Like, What you want is, is the airplane still flying after all these thousands of years? And if it is still flying, then it's a viable airplane. Now, you can only be in one airplane, okay? You can't be, it's not going to work to be in all the airplanes. If you try to jump out of this airplane and into another one, and you keep trying to do that, you're going to fall to earth. You need to be inside of an airplane. You can't straddle airplanes. It's not going to work. They're not built that way. Traditions are not built that way. Cultures are not built that way. You are, you are in a single culture. You can explore and see things from other ones, but if it's, if it's in the air, it follows the laws of aerodynamics, physics, all of it. It may do it in a different way. It may, may be a, 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 a you know, VTOL. It may have a jet. It may be a propeller. It may be kind of glider. It may be rocket driven. It may be these things, but it follows the rules. It'll get you there in the sky. Maybe it's not as safe. Maybe it's not as fast. Maybe it's not whatever. But if I try to go to something other than Christianity, I'm going to be at a distinct disadvantage because my entire culture is Christian. Hmm. Every the the, my entire mindset. um, And uh, Tom Holland has a great book called Dominion that is actually like his rational and historical proof of this. To where he basically is saying that like Western, the Western world is so Christian that like our, we dream in Christian, like all of our symbols, all of our understandings, our laws, the way that they're built, even just the way that we said libertarianism, right? right. It's like the presuppositions, the underlying base axioms are Christian in nature. They cannot be divorced from, from the Christian story. And so I'm somebody who likes efficiency, right? So I'm like, I have explored others, but when I explored the, the Christian uh, story at its root in the real way. So it's like, I, 
have been in the evangelical church. I was raised in the Anglican church. I'm baptized Roman Catholic. I fell away from all of that. There was nothing there for me. And at the same time, I had no, I did not know this. I did not know the original. Like I did not know what was being said in Orthodox Christianity. I did not realize it was mystical. One of the things, it's not proselytizing like that. That's a Roman Catholic thing that came from the, 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 the will to conquest of Western Europe. Like you don't see where, where are the Orthodox who went and, and took over and conquered? It doesn't exist. People convert in, they have a mystical conversion and they convert. That's what happens with Orthodoxy or they're raised in it because they're Greek, Russian, like my wife is baptized and, and my children as well. And so it's there, it's within their vernacular, but they're not a, there's no evangelical orthodoxy. This all is, comes from the vein of the Catholic church, which their two leaders excommunicated each other for these reasons, because this corruption and will to power from the Latins as the Greeks saw it was unacceptable. And, um, and, and that sort of hierarchy of a Pope and all of that, they don't have a Pope. Orthodox don't have a Supreme leader. It doesn't work that way for them. Right. So they have decentralized patriarchates basically who are all equal to one another. Um, none, none like better than the other, but are in communion with each other. So it's like, if you, if you're from the Orth uh, Serbian church, you know, you can go and take communion at the Coptic Egyptian Coptic church or the Ethiopian church, you know? So um, the, I, I don't, it's not the one, but it's my one. And it's the only one that I can speak in, just like I've chosen to speak to you in English today. Right. Mm -hmm. right. And it's like, if we try to swap the Chinese, we're both going to have problems. We're, we're both. And no yeah. one's going to listen. And it's like, I could go and try to learn Chinese so that I could absorb Taoism, but I will not be absorbing it as a Chinese person. Taoism mm -hmm. hasn't affected all of my reality. I don't have Taoist symbols embedded deep within me from my birth, but I have Christian ones. So it's like, you know, it's more efficient. Yeah, I, I think something that has made me more, I, I would say, like, I have not adopted a religion per se, but I have adopted a strong belief in the mystical and a strong belief yes. that there is something there because I've, I've felt it. Like I've, I've just, I've mm -hmm. had experiences where, and I've had experiences that were induced in some ways. Uh, sure, and sure. I've had experiences that were not induced in that way. And to me, that's where it's like, okay, either I'm batshit crazy, <laughs> which is possible. I'm not going to discount it entirely, or there's something going on. And mm -hmm. I think I'm in that, that part of the journey where I'm trying to figure out what that something exactly is. Uh, and I, I know I'm probably not the only one out there mm -hmm. feeling that same way, because like you said, like you've been saying all this time, we are entering into a mystical age and that has a lot of negative things that come with it. As you've discussed, whenever you talk about the dim age, uh, but it can actually have a lot of positive things to it oh, too. Yes. If we find our, our religion, I guess you might say, or, you know, if you, if you connect to the mystical in whatever your way might be, um, I guess just one more kind of question on, on sure. kind of on the, on the same thread here though. Just, I, I guess, so to, to you, would you say like the way you've adopted Christianity and, and how it, it fits into your culture, it works for you. It makes sense as the true story for you. Do you think that let's say a, a kid born in India that has been, has grown up, you know, praying to Ganesha his whole life and that works for him and that makes that person work in their culture are, are do you think that at, at the base at the, the core mm -hmm. of all this, they are you and that person in India praying to Ganesha 
are ultimately connecting to the same thing. Is yes. that possible through such wildly different stories? I guess. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Just as, you know, different species of animals are all connecting to, you know, the same life force or they all have DNA, you know? So it's like, it's a different species of animals. Now there is something just, it's important to look at them as species, right? So that it's not to say that for instance, like, Neanderthal is not any less true than Neanderthal genetic story is not any less true than the Homo sapiens genetic story is not any less true than a crocodile's genetic story is not any less true than a honeybee's genetic story. These are all true and viable genetic stories. And in the same way, all of these religions that have lasted, these ancient traditions are viable mimetic stories. However, they are not all equal in their ability to deal with one crises that come up within them. So they all have their own vulnerabilities and bugs. That's the first thing. And two with other species with other species. And this is just like in the, so it's like, it's not that Neanderthal is less true, but if you stick Neanderthal and homo sapiens in the same environment, there will be no more Neanderthals. Mm. Okay. That's what's going to happen, right? So this, and this is worth thinking about. So there are some species that are particularly tough and resistant that, that can survive. So obviously, as we look like Judaism is resistant, but it doesn't really spread. It's tough as nails. It's, a, it's hedgehog. It's very hedgehoggy. Right. To where it's like, it's tough as nails, but it's not going to outbreed you. Right. Like, at, and, and they're not trying to actively no. spread the word really at all. I, I've never. Well, that, you know, well, that's that's just not part of the, the their mimetic pattern. Right? right. Which is true for some species. So like you, you like I've got these little um, these these like almost like Komodo dragon type things that like roll around out here. And it's rare that you will see one but they clearly survive. They're clearly like mating with each other and, ha and they eat the papayas and they do all of that. But then there's like ants, right? And the ants are going to spread. And if you don't stop the ants, they're going to go crazy. And the same is true with different types of plants. Like the, we, what, what we would call a pest or an invasive species. And Judaism is not a pest or invasive species, right? Certain forms of Christianity are pests. They're invasive species. Islam, certain forms, you know, like not, not, let's say like the Sufis, right? But certain more fundamentalist forms or certain forms that are interested in converting, that are interested in having a caliphate, they're like a pest species that they will just grow uncontrollably and take, take over space, right? That's not the Buddhists. That's not the Taoists. Right. That's not the Shinto. And so, but, so it's like, well, what you don't want is when the Confucian, Confucianism meets Christianity, we'll take a look at Korea. Okay. They're all Christians. It's all Christians. Like Confucianism can't stand against what just sitting there. It's not because Christianity is well proselytizing Christianity. So Roman Catholicism based and then Protestant Christianity is a pest. Uh, it's, 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 it's 
works like it just spreads like crazy. You stick it somewhere, it's going to take over. That's just what it does. And Islam is going to do that. And it's going to use the sword as well to do it. But look at London. The mayor of London is a Muslim. Right. And so it's like this is people are like, oh, this is very racist and very Islamophobic. And it's like, no, 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 no. It's not racist and Islamophobic. It's just recognizing what the species of mimetic or uh, the mimetic species is like. This is a species that if you look at its history, Islam took over basically it's most of its known world in like a couple hundred years. Just spread. And most of it was not, was not like violently people adopted it because it made their lives better from where they were, these pagan sort of whatever. And this gave them a legal system and what the government was working and relatively peaceful and prosperous and look at the science and look at the trade and look at, they took it on most people. And that's been true for Christianity as well, right? Is that most Christian converts have not been, have converted willingly because it made things better for them in one way or another. And so, so that is like, that is what I would say is that it's like, it's not, it's not that they are better or worse, but when they come into contact with one another, we know which ones will win. If you're going to put, if Christianity and Islam have proven that if you put them in contact with almost any other system, they will, it will, they will take it over. And then they'll fight against each other, those two, right? Like they will, they will vie. So they are, they are strong in that way. Other ones can hold out. So obviously the, the, you know, the Hindu systems have been able to hold out. They certainly held up against, against Christianity. Although there is a lot of Christianity in, in um, India, they weren't able, it was not Korea, right? Like obviously the system that they had is much is much stronger. It was able to hold up. Um, same goes for Japan. They had some real natural defenses. You know, they kept the Christians off. They knew they quarantined themselves basically when the Portuguese arrived. Literally, they didn't allow any. They didn't allow guns. They were fighting with swords when everybody else in Asia was already had been fighting with guns for like a hundred years. The Japanese were still purposely fighting with swords because they were like, if we let this in. We're gone. We're done. If we let this culture in, we know what these Christians are doing. Like, no, we can't do it, you know? Um, and so that's, I think that that's an important way to look at it is they're not more or less true, but they, the, w- you certainly can't stand. Some of them are not going to stand at, at the, at the broad level when you introduce another one. All right. Well, that, that makes enough sense to me to, to give me something to chew on at least. So I hope, <laughs> hopefully it'll do that for other people out there. Uh, Vin, I, th- I think we've gone, I think this is our longest one yet. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll you. see. I, I know you're going to take a break, but who knows? Maybe we'll do a four hour one in uh, next year <laughs> sometime. Who, who knows? But, uh, uh, I really appreciate the time, Vin. I really, like I said, I really, I, I find what you're talking about, whether I agree with every sentence or word is not really relevant. It's, it's, it's these higher, higher level concepts that I think people need to be talking about because uh, I, I, there's got to be a way out of all this besides just pounding away 
on the keyboard, on the podcast, on the politics. Uh, that's only going to get us so far, and it might not get us anywhere. It might actually take us backwards. So I, I'm, that's why I think your message is so important, and I, I, it's something that we all need to be at least looking inside ourselves a little bit more for. And if you if you dive into some of this stuff and you reject it, okay. But I, I'm yep. just asking people to open their minds and start thinking about stuff because that because that's that's what I've done over the last couple of years. I was the hardest core atheist you, you could find, you know, ten years ago. Um, so it is what it is. Now, maybe people think I just lost my marbles along the way, and that's okay. Uh, maybe that's true. Who knows? But we'll all find out one day. Uh, Vin, before I let you go, why don't you just uh, give us the quick run through of how people can get your book? I know yep. you are selling it for cryptocurrency only. Yes. How they can jump into Bitcoin Mystery School. I think you're working uh, over at uh, Renegade U with Thaddeus as well. So yeah, you know, feel yeah. free to plug away on everything. Uh, so at Vin Armani on Twitter is the easiest way. Uh, that's pretty much the only social media that I really use is Twitter. Uh, you can get and my use it. You do. Yes, I do. <laughs> you can. It is. It is. It is very helpful. It's my sounding board. Uh, the proof of dot work is where you can go. So the proof of dot work is where you can go and get my new book, Render Unto Caesar, Prophecy, Profit, and Proof of Work in the Dim Age. And then, yeah, Bitcoin Mystery School is every month. The May is open now, and this is really like deep into Bitcoin and. You don't have to know anything about software. You don't have to know anything about cryptography or you don't even have to have ever used Bitcoin. But at the end of this, you're going to know more about Bitcoin than even most professional developers that I've... Hello, sweetheart. <laughs> She's got to make one more appearance. <laughs> She's got to make one more appearance. So yeah, you're ruining my pitch here, kid. So uh, uh, BitcoinMysterySchool.com, people can go and check that out. That's every month. But then I, this uh, this month, uh, April 19th. So people would need to sign up pretty, pretty quickly. I'm doing a course. It's just going to be a one-off. It's four weeks, uh, two hours each week with Renegade University. And it's called uh, From Satoshi to Financial Sovereignty and Introduction to Cryptocurrency. So where Bitcoin Mystery School is deep and it's into Bitcoin, this class is going to be broad. So you're going to get breadth and walk away with like a real understanding of particularly the narrative, like what is cryptocurrency? What is this whole movement? And it's the narrative from World War II to here. And it's a, if you understand this story, a lot of the mystery of the industry falls away and you're going to be much better able to spot the charlatans, to spot what's real and what's not. And I think especially for people who are interested in investing and like, what is it that I should be investing in? And how should I be thinking about these opportunities that are presented to me as there's a lot of them now in cryptocurrency? It's like knowing the vein and the story that most people just simply don't know. And even a lot of it, I didn't know. And in researching to be able to present the things that I didn't know, which I knew a lot, I've been involved with a lot, but the things I didn't know, even my mind is blown. So I'm super interested to share this and people can just go to renegadeuniversity.com and sign up for that course. But again, it's, it starts on the 19th and it's a live, it's a live seminar, but the re recorded archives will go up directly after each class is over. So even if somebody's going to miss one, even if you have to miss one or two, you should be all good. And then you'll have those, those archives afterwards as well. Cool. Well, th this, this is live to our patrons right now. Yep. So if anybody wants to sign up before then they can, yep. this will actually air on the 19th. So publicly. So if anybody is hearing it right then you still can yep. hop on, you can there still you catch go. a class, what have you. So Vin, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate the time as always. Uh, Thank you, keep up the great work, man. We'll talk soon or one of these days. I'm Sure. Yeah, thank you, brother. I appreciate right, it. Take care. Peace. Bye bye. 
All right, gang, that's it with Vin Armani. Uh, I do want to highly recommend his book, Render Unto Caesar, regardless of what you think of what he's been out there saying, regardless of if you agree on all his stances uh, regarding the Libertarian Party takeover or anything else. Uh, I, I really think that people are going to find value from this book. And uh, I have no uh, affiliate program. I make no money from people buying his book. I, I'm saying this because I genuinely believe it. It was a, a very moving book to me. And I think it's just a, a work that ev- every per- person of the Liberty Ilk uh, could gain something from checking out. So again, do check out Render Unto Caesar by Vin Armani. And if you're looking for more from Vin, if you just can't get enough, I happen to have some insider information that he's going to be on the Expat Money Show this week with my good friend Mikel Thorup talking all about living in Saipan. So if you're looking for more info about that, check out the Expat Money Show this week hosted by my friend Mikel Thorup. And of course, check out all the fine podcasts here on Lions of Liberty. Brian McWilliams is going to come hit you hard on Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land, while John is going to wrap things up on Thursday with Finding Freedom. You just can't get enough. You just can't get enough. We ain't going to stop giving it to you, and we don't stop giving it to you, because if you can't get enough, you can get more over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Kitties, that's all I got this week. Until next time, live long and live free.